time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 92 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them, too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Hazelnut. That was quick. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Hazelnut is a classic. That's kind of fitting for today's show. Mm-hmm. And so are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. So how are you doing this week? I always start off with this question, but hey, it's the question of the week. I'm generally well. I like late summer very much. Yeah. I will say that my people are all starting to molt. I have molting starting like crazy. It's not heavy molting. Right. So you're not seeing like a feather bed out there. It's not tons of them, but my cockerels have all dropped their tail feathers. I'm starting to see like <laughs> little bald patches. Yeah. Or when you pick them up, you feel the prickly pin feather starting to come back in. Now the Fayumis and the Brahmas started molting a couple weeks ago. Yeah, they I did. I thought I told you that. That yeah. seems really early, but everyone's joining in. The other thing is they all seem to lose a tiny bit of weight in the beginning of the molt. They also. do. So I think it's just stressful on their bodies. Yeah. Pin and feathers coming in. That can't feel good. No, I do not envy them with that. That's for sure. I was worried about a Claire. Anytime a Claire's eating is off, I worry. Yeah. And so I was worried about her and I had a sharp eye on her, but it turns out she was just molting and she's back to gobbling things down now. I was back there the other day and Spicy had her huge crop, but then it had like little bald spot in it. And I'm like, oh, oh Lord. Oh, geez. Yeah. So she's starting the molt. And, uh, and we have a lot of last year's chicks that'll have that first catastrophic molt. And they'll be like, what the is going <laughs> the on? The poor Fayumis. I mean, they lost feathers everywhere. I guess they'll instinctually know what it is. But, you know, it's kind of like the first cold day of the yeah. winter. You're like, okay, brace yourselves. Exactly. You're not ready for this. No. So I'm excited. We're recording this a few weeks out, but this weekend, hopefully we should be working on the run. Yeah. Joe Mm -hmm. has done all the digging and cemented the post in. Yep. And our friend Ryan is hopefully coming over tomorrow to do fencing and roof. Great. Yeah, we're going to be actually hopefully getting together later today, my Nestera Coop. Right. What you're going to find about the Nestera Coop, and again, we'll talk more about this in an upcoming episode. I put mine together by myself just to see if it was possible. But with two of us doing it, you're going to find out just how fun it is. Oh, and I'm horrible putting stuff together. But so this ought to be fun. You put all the little bits on that need to be screwed into place. Yeah. And then everything snaps together. It's so neat. Wait till you see it. You're yeah, going to love it. It should be fun. Okay. So I'm going to ask everybody a huge favor. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. It's another thing that helps us grow so much. You can also tell a friend about the podcast if you have another chicken-loving friend that might like to listen. Please do. 
You can visit our Etsy shop, see what we have available there with our logo and new designs. Hopefully our mugs will be in soon. Mm-hmm. You can become a patron of the show. Visit patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership and the benefits you get with each. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love the chicken pot holders and the IKEA scrub brush. My chickens are going crazy over those grubbly grubs in that box. And the chicken note cards are going to be great to send into school with the teachers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog, and don't forget, pre-orders start November 2022 for the spring 2023 season. This week's Breed Spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a production. It was a little bit of the Americana kind oh, of. Oh, it was. <laughs> okay. I'm just I'm Americana. going for that. Okay. Kind of going for that. Americana because we are talking about the quintessential American chicken. You took the word out of my mouth. Quintessential. Quintessential. And they are. We are taking a new look mm-hmm. at the Rhode Island Red because we love this chicken so much. Although it has quite the spicy reputation. Well, your spicy has the spicy reputation. Well, they all do. Yeah, they do. Rhode Island Reds are arguably the most famous chicken in the world. When you think backyard chickens, everyone asks, do you have the red one? They don't say Rhode Island Red. They said, do you have the The red red one? one, Yeah. It's more commonly known as the red one. They mean the Rhode Island Red. And the Rhode Island Red is like cheeseburgers to America. That's what it is to American chickens. Well, they were also exported all over the world. You find Rhode Island Reds in pretty much every continent on the earth. Yeah. So they are a true dual purpose breed. And as such, they were an absolute mainstay of homesteads and small farms throughout the majority of the 20th century. You can argue into the 21st century. Over the last 50 years or so, though, production lines have developed, industrial lines. And essentially, the Rhode Island Red has become a smaller and lighter commercial version. There are different ones. It's really good to know when you're looking at the chicken, which one you're looking at. Exactly. The lighter one 
is the more modern version the of production the, Rhode line, Red, right. the production line. And they are different than the heritage breed Rhode Island Red. And really for this spotlight, we're going to talk about the heritage lines of the Rhode Island Red. And I'm going to quote the Livestock Conservancy. The heritage lines are larger, darker, and broodier. That's my spicy. Yeah. The Livestock Conservancy currently lists the non-industrial Rhode Island Reds in the watch category. Now, isn't that crazy? For the poultry conservation this is list. probably the most popular chicken in America. Well, on again, the watch category. you're talking about production lines. Yeah. Heritage versus production. You have to really be careful with what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with the production lines. But I don't even gonna... think they're red. They're more brown to me. Well, the ones we had, they were red, but it was a lighter red. It had maybe yeah. some gold to it. it now, yeah. this was almost 20 years ago, and we didn't even know there were differences in the lines 20 years ago. It's so funny because when I got spicy, that was Joe's pick. Right. Not that I would have picked her, but I'm so glad he did. She definitely is that deep red wine, mahogany, Rhode Island red. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad that I did, through a farm supply store, get a heritage breed Rhode Island red. Well, sometimes you get lucky. The heritage Rhode Island red comes in two varieties, your straight comb and your rose comb. I've got straight. Yes. And both types are this lustrous, deep, rich maroon red with black tail feathers. I describe her as a wine color. I think they're stunners. They're really beautiful yeah. coloring. The deeper the coloring, it's like a fine bottle of red wine. It's just beautiful. All Rhode Island Reds should have bright red faces and earlobes. Yep. They have bright yellow legs and they have a strong blocky body. They remind me of the melee kind of. The melee is an important bird when it comes to the Rhode Island Red. The long neck and the long legs, I see that. Yeah, I could see it. That neck is something else. Yeah. And again, that strong blocky body is pretty distinct. Mm-hmm. Your roosters. They're pretty big. Yeah. Eight and a half. Mm-hmm. And your hens are about six. Yeah. They're in the larger category of chickens. And they're really, really good layers of large brown eggs. You could get lighter, you could get darker, but they're right in that brown in the brown, category. yeah. And they're sitting at 250 to 300 per year. So that is the gold star of the yeah, layers. And I would imagine the heritage lines are going to be a little less. Right. And the production lines are a little more. They're pretty big eggs. Yeah, they're nice eggs. So that's one of the big draws for people who want a Rhode Island Red is because yep. they are a steadfast layer. You're going to get an egg every other day Excellent or so. Layers. They are bright, curious, alert, and intelligent birds. They do have a bad reputation. They can be quite friendly if you handle them a lot when they're young. The problem is that they can have strong personalities, especially in large groups. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, they're, they're nobody's fool, essentially. No. When the girls and I first went to the feed store and got the chickens uh-huh. so many years ago, there right. were four of the Buffalo Orpingtons and a boatload of Rhode Island Reds yeah. next to it. And I remember turning to somebody and saying, what do you think? And they were like, that's a no-brainer. Go with the Buff Orpingtons. Yeah, definitely and, a better And then I chicken. came home and started looking up and researching right. and, and saying, well, yeah, they put me in the right direction. Yes. The Rhode Island Reds have very, very strong personalities. And like you said, in a group, woo! Yeah. We did start off with them. And I don't regret it because they're really interesting chickens in so many ways. I learned a lot from that flock. It was Rhode Island Reds, Cochins, and Bard Rocks and Arcanas. You had a lot of personalities going on. A lot of personalities happening in that flock. And I learned tons and tons from them. But I will say, when that merry band of Rhode Island Reds was out there, everyone got out of their way. Oh, yeah. Because they were on a mission. It's so funny because everyone knows the tree went down. Now my very large run is split in half. The big girls are on one side and the little girls are on the other side. So Spicy's part of the little girl gang. And she's the one chicken that keeps going over. Of course she is. (laughs) 
What's happening over here? I need, I need and to yesterday was the first day I was on the phone with you. Uh-huh. And I saw her go up against Bubbles, against the fence, and then back away and walk away. It was the first time I saw it happen in the month that they have well, been in the divide. she took the big boss lady. She did. But she walked away. Yeah. The first yeah. time I saw that happen. Now, can you imagine if she had a few friends with her, that wouldn't be happening? Probably not. I will say that, yes, we did start off with this huge flock with all these different personalities, but we were very animal savvy. You know, 4-H yeah. kids, we grew up with horses and yeah. rabbits and whatever, but they are fascinating. That's one of the things you learn by being a chicken keeper so long. Yeah. That's one of the things that you can't learn in the first, let's say, one to four years. Right. You learn with experience. Oh, yeah. And oh, experience yeah. means a lot. And honestly, I'm grateful for every single one of those chickens because I learned something from all of them. Yeah. When we started this almost two years ago, we started planning our flocks around the personality of the chicken. Yes. That's what's so important about the breed spotlight and knowing these chickens right. is knowing those personalities. And honestly, since then, my breeds have been based on uh, several things, but a lot of it has to do with personalities meshing and flock dynamics working this big, huge first flock. We would have all these chickens out. The Rhode Island Reds would just run over the cochins. I mean, just, even the cochin roosters, just push them around and Mm -hmm. pick on them and Mm -hmm. steal all the food, you know. Right. That being said, there are several things that the Rhode Island Reds do really well. Yeah. Really, really well. I mean, they are absolutely excellent birds for so many purposes. They're fantastic show birds. If you have heritage lines. Oh, yes. They're beautiful. We said they're amazing layers. They're a good homestead breed. Excellent, because you want them for eggs and, and they're going to give them to you. And there you want the heritage breeds if you can get your hands on it because your females will go broody and you don't have to use an incubator right. if you want to avoid it. They make amazing pets if you are savvy about their personalities. Right. Especially if you don't have a whole gang of them. Um, <laughs> like a gang of Rhode Island Reds. But if you do have the gang of Rhode Island Reds, they are amazing in the garden and the compost pile. Turning oh, yeah. over beds, all of that stuff, because they're good foragers. They're very intelligent birds. They are. I have to say, keep in mind, I only have one. Right. Knowing her, she is so smart and always looking to do something else to mm-hmm. to go around. And- I will say about Rhode Island Reds, you don't want them bored. No. That's a big thing. You don't want them bored. It's so funny because she is best friends with Katie T. Biscuit. The speckled <laughs> Sussex. No, it doesn't surprise me because people don't give speckled Sussex their due. We Sussex were, are very smart chickens. We were just talking about this before we sat down to record. Yeah. Because we get a lot of comments. We both have speckled Sussex and we both have Jubilee Orpingtons. Right. And a lot of times those can get confused. Yes. And we were saying speckled Sussex doesn't get the respect that chicken deserves. Oh, they're amazing. They're very inquisitive. They're very inquisitive. They're very curious. They're very smart. This I will say about them. They're cooperators, though. Yeah. They will work with And her and Spicy are the two girl gang in there that hang (laughs) together. But they're the two ones that are just them. And we got them the same day. That's right. So So they grew up together. They grew up. Well, we'll finish up our description of the Rhode Island Red. Let's do it. They're pretty cold hardy, but you've got to watch those combs and waddles. They're big. And they can withstand some heat. But if, like us, it gets hot and humid, you do want some fans for them. They definitely need some cooling down spaces. Every chicken needs a fan if it's hot. I mean, if you're in some of these areas, absolutely. The summers are getting worse. The fans are necessary. Yes. So that's the description of these gorgeous birds. Now, we had a couple listeners say they wanted more breed spotlight. This one's going to be a little longer because we're (laughs) going to tell you the story of the Rhode Island Red that you never hear. We're going to tell you how these birds came about. And it's kind of funny, actually. What you usually see, Rhode Island Reds were developed in New England during the late 19th and early 20th century. The American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection included the straight comb Rhode Island Red in 1904, the rose comb in 1905, and they list the Red Melee, the Brown Leghorn, and Asiatic Native Stock as a foundation breeds. I could see it. 
Other sources list the Shanghai chicken, which may be the Cochin, or it may be the Malay-like precursor to the Cochin that came out of England. That's murky. The Livestock Conservancy also lists the Java as a foundation breed, specifically the Auburn Java. Okay. Which I can see that too. Okay. For your size and your color. But we did a lot of in-depth research because we wanted a better picture of the Rhode Island Reds development. And so we're going to tell you the story. Before we go, let me just say, melee is so much I can see in this chicken. Oh, so much. So much. It's crazy. Absolutely. You look at spicy sometimes from a certain angle, and you I'm can like, almost see a melee superimposed over her. Without, yeah. With the big comb. And the skull, too. Take the comb off, uh-huh. and you got me. Yeah, kind of. It's true. <laughs> the story of the Rhode Island Red starts, as so many do, with a fishing captain. Oh, boy. Yep. Somewhere in the early 1850s, so this is before the Civil War, this is before the U.S. was even 100 years old, there was a Captain William Tripp, and he acquired a red melee cockerel. Okay. At least one source says he bought it off of an English sailor. I couldn't substantiate that anywhere. The important part is he bought this red melee, and he took it home, and he let this guy start working magic with his hens. Oh, boy. Yeah. The resulting offspring, he really liked. So what did he have at home? Country birds. I mean, it's 1850. So he didn't really, it doesn't really give you the sources of what he had. Not at all. It could have been a barnyard mix. Yeah. He could have had some Dorking, some Sussex, some Javas. You know, we're just kind of guessing. Right. But the resulting offspring he liked very much. The reports say they laid more eggs. Okay. And they worked very well as dual purpose birds. So Captain Tripp shows these birds to his bestie, John Maycomer. Maycomer ends up leaving with some of them to breed to his own chickens. So the two of them start this breeding project. And they would occasionally bring in other breeds. I read that they brought in Brahmas, sometimes called Chittigongs. Okay. They brought in Javas and they brought in Cochins or Shanghai. These were some of the breeds they definitely used. So they started bringing in these breeds and they were trading back and forth to minimize inbreeding. The two of them were just having a merry time with this project. Yeah. At this point, the birds didn't have a standard appearance and apparently could produce straight rows and even peacocks. Okay. Which you would understand from all those different parentages. Exactly. Well, the word gets out that these two have this improved breed of chicken. And the local farmers start buying birds from them. And they called these birds either makehomers or trips fowl, probably depending which of them they got the birds from. Okay. One of the farmers who came to them to buy stock was a man named Isaac Wilbur. And Wilbur ran a large egg farm in Little Compton, Rhode Island. Where the Rhode Island comes in? Exactly. Now, he supplied eggs to the Boston market and the Providence, Rhode Island market. Okay. So he already had this business going. He hears about these chickens and he wants to give them a try. Now, here's what you would need to know about Wilbur. Wilbur was the grandson of Isaac Wilbur, who was one of the early governors of Rhode Island. Right. And that's important because it tells us he was very well connected. And he's the person who really put the Rhode Island Reds on the map. Well, because he was bigger business. Exactly. And he went out there and said, okay, this is where I got my chicken. And these chickens are laying lots of eggs. Well, and he starts improving them He was even a marketing more. guy. He definitely, definitely. <laughs> He gets these trips fowl home and he starts breeding and he wants to continue producing a dual purpose bird, but he wanted them to be really great layers to support his egg business and large enough to deal with cold New England winters. Right. So I found no record of this at all, but it makes me wonder if he was the one who added the brown leghorn. Kind of makes sense. And the brown leghorn, I've said this before, and I think I said this in August's uh, Patreon. Uh Uh-huh. The brown leghorn to me is bigger than the other leghorns. You might be right. He wouldn't put a small bird in with this. He probably wouldn't. And it's possible if Tripp and Maycomb yeah. were putting all these Asiatics in there, chances are what he brought home was a big bird anyway. And so if he added the brown leghorn, and never, the brown leghorn arrived in the U.S. in 1853. Right. So they definitely would have been around and established. Yeah. So this is just a supposition. Please don't run around saying I said that he did this. This is my guess. <laughs> 
He did it. He did it. Everybody, I'm, he did it. I'm guessing he added in the brown leg horn. No, um, Molly said he did it. For maximum egg production. So whether he did it or not, he carried on with this breeding for quite a while, 20 or more years. And in the late 1890s, two professors from the Rhode Island Agricultural Experimental Station, now known as the University of Rhode Island, they came to visit his farm to see this new breed. I guess by that time, he had standardized the appearance. And he probably said Rhode Island Red. He picked the name, exactly. They asked him to name them, and he chose Rhode Island Red. So It all makes sense. The next thing you know, this breed is even more popular. They're all over the U.S. Egg farmers, smallholders, backyard chicken keepers, all had their flocks of Rhode Island Red. In my family, my grandfather on my father's side, he and my grandmother had a huge garden. They grew most of their stuff and they had their egg laying Rhode Island Reds. Right. My mom's side, my great-grandfather was more of a smallholder and so he used them dual purpose. I've talked about my history before, which is pretty prevalent with this breed because my great-grandparents were chicken and egg farmers and they had very large flocks of Rhode Island Reds and supplied eggs to the local area. And they kept leghorns too. They kept leghorns and Rhode Island Reds. Do you know if they were white or brown leghorns? I think they were white. White, My mom always talks about the white chicken and she talked a lot about the red chicken. Yeah. So in my family, I am a fifth generation chicken keeper Mm -hmm. and my great-grandparents benefited from this breed and of chicken. In that era, your great-grandparents would have had the heritage strains of the Rhode Island Red. Definitely. And as we noted, they've been largely replaced by the industrial lines. The industrial lines are often used to breed hybrid layers. Exactly. So there's a lot of that in there. So we'll wrap up the story by saying, if you love the Rhode Island Red, we would encourage you to find some of those beautiful heritage lines. Right. The Livestock Conservancy's breeder directory would be one place to look. The other place that would be a really good idea is the Rhode Island Red Facebook Club. And actually, your local feed store sometimes will supply them. Maybe. I lucked out You lucked out. The reality is, if you had gone to the people at the feed store and said, are these heritage lines? They wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known. They would not have known. I just lucked out. I mean, as she was growing feathers, I knew. She looked different. She looked different. She does. Because I She definitely looks different than mine, and mine were absolutely production lines. And everything, after we had done all the research the first time, since this is a 2.0, we had known that the newer ones were lighter, more gold and red smaller more browns and smaller and she has none of those qualities she has all the qualities of a heritage well it's interesting because you say and i agree with this you look at her and you can see the melee in her totally the flock my sister and i had no it looked like a barnyard chicken yes yeah, they did they looked like a, a flock of red barnyard chickens I yeah mean, that's somewhat the problem i mean of, they were pretty but they didn't have the really striking look that she has well that's the problem with industrializing and changing these chickens into hybrids you lose that chicken. Right, right. Thank God there are still the heritage line out there. And I will say, if you know that you want the production lines, that's fine. Right. But you want to get healthy, solid breeding. And in that case, you can go to Murray McMurray for their production line of Rhode Island Red. You can't go wrong there. You can't go wrong there. When we recorded the first episode, I did not have a Rhode Island Red. Yeah, and, and at that you point, heard stories about mine. And I knew the stories from my mom growing up yeah. about chickens chasing her and everything else. Right. And then when Joe wanted his own chicken... My gut told me he was going to pick a Rhode Island Red, and, and he, he did. picked Rhode Island Red, and I was like, oh, he picked a Rhode Island Red, but I'm glad he did, Yeah, because she has brought a lot of dynamic to our flock. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, it is a beginner's chicken. Yeah. But I do feel like you do need to be informed and you do need a little experience with their personalities because you're not going to just run in and take them and put them under your arm. You're going to have to work with them. Yes. They definitely need time. Yeah. 
That's for sure. So that is the absolutely beautiful, world-famous Rhode Island red chicken. They are world-famous. Yeah. We had some listeners ask for a longer breed spotlight. Well, there you go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's a good story. And it does show you that business worked the same back then that it does now. People are people. These two guys who had this idea, it was kind of taken from them. They were kind of doing hobby breeding, right? They were having a great time with this. And then a businessman He capitalized on it. He did. At the time that Isaac Wilbur was doing this, somewhere in that time period, his egg farm was the largest egg farm in the U.S. So I hope that he paid them well for this chicken. They were, I think, comfortably situated. That's so what I'm, I'm hoping. sure, yeah. You know, they were really interested. They were like fanciers. Yeah. They weren't really interested in making a business. And right. so you're right. Isaac Wilbur came in and- The businessman. Boom, there it was. Yeah. And, and he took it and put it out there into the world. And it is an iconic chicken. There is a monument to the Rhode Island Red in the town of Little Compton, Rhode Island. And I do- do believe that it is Isaac Wilbur that's mentioned on there. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it's good that everybody has the backstory now. Yeah, yeah. Show us your pictures. We love Rhode Island Reds. We love them. We'll give you a story on Instagram. And we would love to hear about your Rhode Island Reds. So let us know. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosties store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple, and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. Now it's time for the main topic. Yeah. Yeah. Our main topic is flock dynamics. It's a big subject. It's a huge part of chicken keeping. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand it in order to chicken keep. Exactly. Because if you don't, you're going to be at a loss and you're going to hate life because you have to understand it. Right. A good understanding of flock dynamics can make your life and your chicken's lives so much easier. It helps you with integration, with feeding, with bullying issues, with rooster issues, with free ranging, all of that stuff. And one of the things you want to remember is that the hierarchy is fluid. Totally. It changes with time and circumstances. It's one of the reasons we encourage you to spend time observing your flock. There is a hierarchy. They are not upset about a hierarchy. That is their life. Exactly. They're comfortable with this. Yeah. Now, what you really want to look out for, changes in the pecking order that happen seemingly without reason. Like if you have new birds coming in or old ones leaving, that's going to cause a change in the pecking order. But if something upsets the pecking order for no good reason, you really want to take a closer look. Bullying is number one. Well, right. I mean, the reality is if someone is being pushed out because they're sick or injured or compromised in some way, a quick intervention can sometimes salvage the situation and sometimes save that chicken's life. The flock dynamic, these chickens will know this before you do, and they will be the people to tell you. Oh, yeah. They'll hold a little sign up. This one is sick. We're she's, kicking her out. Yeah, she's got to go. And that is when the bullying comes in. Mm-hmm. And you need to be aware of the flock dynamic and watch how it plays out daily. Right. 
Because if it changes, it will change quickly. Yes. You have to intervene. Right. Before there is massive injury or... Right. Don't discount how much damage stress can do to a chicken too. It can do massive amounts of damage. It can. So there's a 2017 study in the journal Animal Cognition, and I'm going to link that in the show notes because it's a really good read. It does a great job explaining the bigger picture when it comes to flock dynamics. Right. A lot of the articles focused on proving how intelligent chickens actually are, but we already know that. We tell you this every week. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So for us and probably other chicken keepers, I would imagine the most interesting part of the study is the proof that the range of emotions is so complex and extensive, and that's both positive and negative emotions. Right. Those are the drivers behind flock dynamics. Oh, yeah. If you have brain power, you can feel emotion. Yeah. But also the necessity of structure is what also drives it 100%. Right, right. They need to know who eats first, who eats last. And that is part of all setting the Right. Up. And in a healthy flock with good dynamics, the lowest person on the pecking order, there's some mild pecking order, but it should not be anything she can't deal with. And she still gets exactly the same amount as everybody else. Exactly. We can use prevention and preparedness as ways to keep chickens as healthy as possible because we know that weakness in any chicken, no matter their rank, are perceived as danger to the flock. So it's normal to have a bird or two at the top in each flock. They're usually the ones that go to the food and the treats first. I mean, you always have a number one and number two. Of course, right. I mean, in in every movie, right? the top guy always has a sidekick with them. Wingman. (laughs) (laughs) Wingwoman. (laughs) Wingwoman. Well, and the reality is sometimes the top bird is a rooster and number two is his hen. Right. Sometimes it's just hens. Yes. Sometimes your rooster isn't necessarily number one. So here's the other thing about flock dynamic. Sometimes breed has something to do with it, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. Everyone has told me, buff Warpingtons, they're pushovers. My buff Warpingtons are my originals. Right. And well, that's are, the thing. They're the oldest. They're the oldest, and they rule that flock. If someone tries to come up against them, they put them in their place very right. quickly and swiftly. Right. They are not allowing anybody to push all over them. And they're super sweet. But mm-hmm. sometimes that personality and the chicken's genetics don't play a role in the That's in right. the hierarchies. A lot of people will tell you they've had no trouble with their Swedish flowers in a flock. Oh, My yeah. Swedish flowers are the originals in that particular flock. And they are merciless dictators. I was going to say, which makes them even harder to deal with for yes. the other chickens because they have the seniority on top of being a strong chicken in the first place. So if you have a mixed flock and you have some benign breed, let's say you have Jersey Giants in charge right. and you bring Swedish flowers in and they're not on the top of the pecking order, it might be better. Yeah. But mine were the originals in that flock. And so that's where the problem comes and in. I can see the flip side of that too. I'll use my flock as an example, the Buff Warpingtons. Uh-huh. Now, afterwards, I brought in the Americanas, which are no longer with us, right. that flock. But then the Morans. <laughs> right. They want to be top. Yes, they do. They did fall below the Buffs, but there's always inner goings on with them trying jockeying to get up and trying yeah. to get jockeying yeah. up, and you can see it. And then after that, I brought in Barred Rocks. Yes. So those two... Well, they were supposed to be speckled Sussex, but... <laughs> they the didn't have them. Yeah. Those two flocks, the Morans and the Bard Rocks, are always jockeying. Well, and that's why that works, though, because you have... Two strong ones. Two strong ones. Yeah. They kind of cancel each other out. And because your leaders are not particularly aggressive chickens. Right. In the best situation, your head chicken is going to come to the food and treats first. They're going to take the best spots on the perch. Yep. If there's a rooster, they'll be the ones who sleep next to him. Yes. Things like that. In some flocks, the leader will break up disputes. Sometimes that's the head hen. More often, I've seen that with a rooster doing it. They may choose to tidbit and call others to share food. Mm -hmm. You always hear roosters tidbitting, but hens will tidbit too. 
so cute the day we were out here with Rebecca and Kelly when Truffle was tidbitting for Clover. Yeah, it was the cutest thing. Oh and my their God. babies, and she was already doing it. Yeah, taking care of her because she knows Clover's not 100%. Well, she kept Clover company during, and that's the other thing that's going to bring your flock dynamic. When you have two that are put into a situation where they bond, yeah, you know how you have other animals, dogs and cats, they have bonded pairs, right? I believe chickens have this also. Was that the way we were in school? Yes, we were bonded pairs. <laughs> Sophia and I had everybody out last night. Uh-huh. Truffle always goes back to Clover. Yeah. Otherwise, she's kind of on her own. Yeah. But it goes according to how this dynamic has started. Yeah. So it starts from the very first day you have. Which means that if, for whatever reason, Truffle were in charge in a flock, she would probably keep Clover higher ranked with her. Can you imagine that? I can. I cannot. Yeah, I can see Clover is a number two. Clover would be untouchable. <laughs> or, or Truffle would put them in her place. Yeah. Yeah, somebody would try to touch Clover and be like, I mean, not just today. Think about, just think about Fiona's flock. Frankie was in charge. Yeah. And so anyway, back to some of the things you're going to see your flock leader doing. They may also give warning calls and they may be the one to lead hens to shelter if there's any kind of danger. They also may be your lookout or you could have a separate lookout. Exactly. There is very much a watcher hen. Bluebell was always my watcher so hen. So there's always a last one in at night uh-huh. and that is your watcher hen. Usually. Who goes in last to make sure we call it to secure like Joe and I call secure it. the location. Secure the house. <laughs> Joe's are like look a rooster. All the doors are locked. All the windows are shut. Yeah. That's your hen. And generally, you'll see that hen or rooster circling the coop. Yeah, they will circle the coop. Yeah. To make sure perimeters are all safe. Dolly the Dominique did that for a while. She yeah. doesn't anymore now that she's older. But she yeah. did that for a while. And I will say that a lot of the time she was hunting crickets. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> She was taking advantage of everybody right, being right. in. So you may be thinking, okay, it's great for us to talk about this. But how do you know when to intervene in a flock dynamic problem? If there's a chance, even a nano chance of an injury, you have to intervene. When a bird's health is going to be compromised by injury or even stress. Because again, I think we really don't see how much damage stress can do. It's immense. Now, and this is one of my pet peeves, you know it. This goes for cockerels fighting. There is zero reason to let your cockerels fight until they draw blood. Or to videotape it. Please don't. Oh, God, I know. I'm always like the person who's taking this video. Please stop this fight from happening. Yeah. Instead of videotaping it. I should say recording because videotaping doesn't happen anymore. Well, we're old. We're old. There's always a chance for injury. Yes. Quickly, there could be blood. When they're young, when they're still cockerels, they don't have very much of a spur, but they use those beaks to good advantage. They usually tear up each other's combs. As soon as they start fighting, I would interview. Absolutely. They might need to work out a pecking order, yes, but I would remove the aggressor. That's what we did with the Nankin cockerels. We took out the aggressor. And when they're establishing a flock order, it's generally chest bumping, and it's not fighting. They might occasionally go after each other's combs, but it should not be like a bloodbath. No. You should not be seeing that. Other times to intervene... A bully hen, where you have nest box bullying or constant chasing. A bop on the head here and there is normal. Yeah. But it shouldn't be like constantly chasing someone away from food. Exactly. I've had hens in the nest box and another hen comes in and starts pulling her feathers out. And I've seen her that comb. happen before. The hen who was doing that comes out. I was going to say, that is a perfect example when you use the chicken timeout. The chicken timeout is real deal. It can help you in yeah. these situations because you need to give that chicken time away to break that pattern that it's doing right. with that hierarchy. So they need to come out and then they need to re-enter, you know, a day later. Right. So anytime you take later, someone out, it reshuffles. Now, if you take someone out for a couple of hours and it doesn't reshuffle at all, do it again. Do it again, maybe a little longer. That chicken that you take out, they need to have food, water, shelter, shade, all those things. Yeah. You're not 
punishing them. No. It's a timeout. It's a chance for them to regroup. It's a chance for the flock to reshuffle. Right. That's where that preparedness that we talked about earlier comes in. Yeah. That's having pop-ups. Yes. Or like a small spare coop and run or like a dog crate. We talk about this all the time. We have lots of extra places that our chickens can go that are safe, that are spacious, that they can spend some time on their own so that we can separate them. In the beginning, when you first start, no one tells you you're going to need this. You get yourself a coop, a run. Yeah, you see a pretty picture of a magazine of a gorgeous coop with a wreath on the door and happy chickens. Yeah. No one tells you that they're inside blooding each other's combs (laughs) fighting over a box. So you learn these things as you go that you do need a separate area to put them. You do. And the pop-up is one of our go-to favorites. It's fantastic. I understand everyone wants to stay on a budget, but that's 30 or $40 well spent. Oh, yes. It really is. And they last a very long time. They do, unless you have my Andalusians in them. <laughs> that's another story. I adore those Andalusians. They're drop-dead gorgeous. I'm going to go on record and say they're not beginner chickens, though. <laughs> they're not. But God, are they gorgeous. I do love them. I mean, mine will just kind of fly away from you a little bit. Nothing like your two. My two have been so crazy lately. Today, I think we passed a milestone, though, because they actually let me pick them up today. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, we should tell the listeners we do work via phone every Are single day. Are you going to tell people my shameful story of yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, funny, no. though. So we're on the phone and we're talking, you know, our business and everything else. I hear Holly say, oh, no, she's in the sheep field. <laughs> As we were talking, I was carrying the Andalusians out for their outside time in the yeah. sun. I was putting them in a pop-up pen out there. And I did not close the pop-up well behind me. I just put Isabella in and I came back and I saw Catalana and Apple Blossom exiting the pop-up. Like there they are. They're on the loose. <laughs> I tried to grab Catalina and she ran from me and she fits through the sheep fencing. And, and so- Ella says, what's going on? I said, one of the Andalusians is in the sheep field at Aunt Holly's. And Ella was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, no. Because the fields are pretty big. Yeah. So she was smart enough, though. She ran back and forth. I would run in the field and she would run back out the other side. <laughs> and eventually I got her in a place where I could scoop her up. But yesterday evening and this morning, they both let me pick them up. Yeah. So I think they're calming down a little bit. Mine, I can catch them very easily and I'll snuggle with them. They let us hold them. Yeah, once you're holding them, they relax. And yeah. They're very sweet once you're holding them. Yeah. They're very smart, though. Mine are really, really sweet. In the very beginning, they would not leave your side either when they free range with them. They stay right by me. They're like not going for the sheep field. (laughs) No. Well, that was a little tangent. So I don't know that they'll ever be bullies. That remains to be seen. So some of the other things you can put in place, like let's say there's some minor bullying and you don't feel like it's strong enough to take the chicken out. Mm -hmm. Some of the things you can do to help. Well, this is what we've all done before is adding food and water bowls because adding more places to go. And here's the other thing that I do. I spread the feeding out within my run area. You don't want to have your bowls within a foot of each other. Right. You don't want a a row of three. You want them in different quadrants. You're going to have to go in different corners because you want a bird that could potentially be bullied a little bit to have a place to go to get the food on their own. I had the situation with Flock Dynamic with my Americana Pearl, Mm -hmm. who was bullied out, and I believe because she had something going on internally. When they're staying in the coop and not even coming out, you know there's a problem. Yep. So we had to intervene, and I think the whole thing that started that, honestly, was a molt. Could be. You a know. severe molt. She felt terrible. And the rest of the flock weren't molting yet. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's what started that entire thing. So the first thing you do is you go in and you add feeding areas. Right. More feeders and waterers. It's perfect. 
this is especially the case with new pullets. Mm-hmm. A lot of times new pullets will be ready to lay and you'll have the older girls in the flock like, no, you're not laying in that box. Right. One of the things we found is if you buy ceramic nest box eggs mm-hmm. and you put them in the other unused boxes, it'll encourage the pullets to use them. Exactly. You can also even get extra nest boxes or places to lay that you can put outside. I've used cat and dog carriers. Yes. For that. Whoever's being bullied will pop in there to lay. The other thing that I have done, which I believe in myself and works, is if you have a chicken that is really low in the flock and getting bullied, Mm -hmm. I take them off the roost at night, bring them in, feed them, let them sleep inside, and take them back out before the flock is let back out in the morning. Yes. Because then when the flock comes out, they're already there. They're already there. So they weren't even missed. For whatever reason, that gives them some street cred. You can plump them up at night, yeah. you know, for yep. lack of a better yep. way of saying it. You can give them their vitamins. You can make sure they have some extra oatmeal and get them stronger. Yeah. And then they can sleep well. You take them back out. No one even knew they were gone. Exactly. And it gives them street cred. It does. They're in the pen first. The other thing that is a good tip, this is mine, street cred is big time in flock dynamics. Let that chicken walk the outside of the run. And let the other one see it. I'm special. I'm free-ranging. And you are in there. Yep. And it does matter. It makes a difference. It matters. I've done that. me. When I had to get a Clara back into the flock after her second surgery when she was out for so long, yeah. I took her out to free-range right in front of them all the time. I do it all the time with yep. Gertie. But Gertie is so hard-headed and so strong. Gertie's a whole... She's Gertie, like, come at me. Come on. Gertie's a whole different matter. So yeah, <laughs> that street cred is real. That's a really good tip. You can bring in new pullets. You can bring in a rooster. Because that will throw it all in the air. (laughs) Oh, yes. Bring in a rooster. Now, once it gets settled down, if it's a good rooster, he will... Keep the peace. Exactly. My Casper, my Swedish flower rooster, now, we know that he's retired. Yeah. When he had a passel of girls, he would break up the fights. Yeah. I mean, Casper is very much a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. But he still steals the treats first. (laughs) Well, those grapes. You said he loves the grapes. Oh, my God. I saw him peck honeysuckle yesterday and (laughs) take the grapes. Anyway... So bringing a rooster in will throw it all out of whack. If you have a death, it's horrible you're grieving and then your flock dynamics are thrown all out of whack. It's one of the most sad things. What was it? Two years ago, I lost the matriarch of my flock to a heart attack in the nest box. Right. And that next day, I sat in there and cried and cried and they did not know what to do. No, there was chaos around you. I just had to sit in there all day because they did not know what to do. So what happened is you lost the matriarch and the remaining people were jockeying for position. Yes. And it's generally not your number two. It's generally the middle of the pack because they want to rise in the pack. In that case, though, it was the other two buffs. Uh-huh. They tag team it. They're both the two number ones. Yeah. And they both stepped up. Yeah. But there was grieving in that flock. And mm-hmm. I took the next day... And I'm lucky enough that I could do this and sit in there right. and cry my eyes out with them and just watch it all go down and be there with them. And within a few days, it worked out. Right. They'll get it together. You need to keep an eye on things because the death is traumatic for some of the birds. And that's when some of the ones lower down in the pecking order are trying to come up the ladder a bit. But that usually settles down pretty well. I think the biggest thing might be the rooster is huge. Mm-hmm. Bringing in new birds is huge. A little bit of pecking and chasing is normal if you're bringing in new birds, but that should not go too far. No. Not with babies, especially. And you need to watch roosters carefully. Most roosters will not mess with a pullet who is not sexually mature, but there have been some. I've heard of some. Jailbait. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
because they're going to be picked on by the hens and they could be picked on by a rooster. This is the reason we do not integrate young birds until they're at least 16 weeks old and can hold their own. Yeah, we talk about this in a whole other episode of integration, but the birds need to be comparable in size for a flock dynamic because when they're smaller... That's something else that throws a flock dynamic off. It does. And I can't tell you how many people have come to us. My youngster was killed by the flock. And it's so sad. And they know the size and the difference. And that's why this is such a big topic. They are so intelligent. The pecking order has developed in chicken flocks for thousands of years. And they fall into it. It is ingrained in their DNA. And they are more comfortable with the pecking order. They know where they belong. They know what to expect. Once they have a place, they're generally fine. Exactly. They're not like, man, I'm six out of eight. This stinks. Only if they're (laughs) Moran. Yeah. But if they're a strong chicken, then they're like, I want to be number three. I want to be number two. But that's why we talk about personalities in your flock should all be kind of the same type of personality. As close to it as possible. So that if you have a laid back personality flock, you have to keep that one laid back. Right. Now, my big girls, I can't really bring anybody new in there because that flock dynamic is so strong. I would not mess with that either. I would not interrupt that flock dynamic. And it's set and they're older. They're my geriatric flock. Right. And I don't want to bring stress into that. Right. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, all the little youngsters have to play together and get their dynamics together. But yeah. the old ladies, I'm like, you all. Leave them in peace. Leave exactly. them in peace. Don't mess with them. It's such an important thing. It's such a huge topic. It can make or break your success as a chicken keeper. I 100% agree with that. If you have any questions, you can DM us on Instagram, on Facebook. You can email us and we will chat with you about it. Just remember, a hen who's being mean, in her mind, she's doing what she needs to do to keep the flock safe. They're genetically programmed programmed to do this. this. And the other thing we want to mention very quickly is that sometimes you have a case where chickens just don't like each other. They are not (laughs) going to get along. And that's another reason why we say be prepared because the reality is that chicken may not be able to remain in that flock. And that's sometimes why when you talk to chicken owners who have been chicken owners for many, many years, they have multi-flocks. Yeah, yeah. Because the health and the happiness of your flock is very important to you. And you're not going to do anything to change that dynamic. So by adding a new flock, you keep that dynamic the same in the other one. Right. And usually long-term chicken owners will have multi-flocks. That's generally why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, keep their that's, chickens happy. that's the start of it generally. I mean, there is also my complete obsession with breeds, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just remember your chickens are being mean girls. Yes. But in their brains, they're doing the right thing. They're just living their best life. Trying. Yeah. <laughs> Trying. So let us know if you have questions. We are here. Okay, so let's move on to cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. This week, we're going a little different. We're doing the Greek-inspired tuna burger. These are so good. (laughs) They're so good. (laughs) They are good. They are a little messy to make in the interest of full disclosure. But that's okay. Yeah. So that's like one bowl. Most of your work here is like grating the zucchini and mincing the onion. Right. And that's there's easy. some herbs to chop, right? Quickly and easily. You got your mixing bowl. You want medium or large size mixing bowl. I like big. Bigger the better. Because yes. I like to, I mix these by that's hand. But um <laughs> So it's two cans of tuna. I usually just use tuna and water to keep the calorie count down. This is a rant on my part. Please stop making tuna and oil. There's no purpose for it. I've seen chefs say it's more flavorful. But it's not really worth it. I want to save the calories generally. Exactly. 
<laughs> two cans of tuna and water, one small zucchini, grate it and squeeze. We to, talked about this exactly, before. Exactly, as However much liquid as possible. And then one to one and a half cups of breadcrumbs or gluten-free breadcrumbs. Okay. You can substitute cracker meal if you need to. Mm-hmm. You probably even substitute cornmeal or something like that if you wanted to. But I did it with breadcrumbs. And I say one to one and a half because sometimes it just ends up sticky and you need to add some more breadcrumbs. I never measure breadcrumbs. I always just, go by the feeling of it. Yeah, yeah, I kind of do too. That's why somebody was like talking to me about meatloaf and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I just pour it. <laughs> Throw it in. That's what my mom did. Half of a red onion minced on the fine side so it cooks well. This is optional, but I love these. A half a cup of chopped green and or black olives. I do both because I'm an olive girl. I know, me too. I love them, love them. A tablespoon of chopped fresh thyme, a tablespoon of chopped fresh oregano, one egg, lightly beaten, that's going to go towards your binder, then garlic powder, salt and pepper to taste. So you are basically making yourself a burger. Instead of ground meat, you're using tuna flakes. Fish and veg, essentially, yeah, yeah. 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 And the egg in here, it's absolutely just serves as a binder. That's, that's what the magic you, of egg. That's the magic of egg. And so you're just going to combine it all. I actually do it with my hands. I feel like I get it better. You're going to use about a half of a cup of the mixture padded into a burger. They can be sticky, and that's, again, where the breadcrumbs right. may come in. You're going to fry or grill the burger patties in your favorite way, however yeah. you like to do it, usually about four to five minutes each side. No, you can also bake these. Yeah, I can see how you could bake them. You can do it in a 400 degree oven. Now, if I do it in the oven, I put them on parchment paper or aluminum foil have that has sprayed. Broiling? Have you ever tried broiling? No, I have not broiled these. Because it would make them crispy on the outside. Yeah, actually, it's a good idea. I don't use my broiler enough, probably because there's always mishaps when I <laughs> use my broiler. So in that case, you would bake them in about a 400 degree oven, like 12 or 15 minutes, mm-hmm. flip halfway through. Again, I would put them on a sprayed mm-hmm. foil or parchment paper. And then, yeah, pop that baby under the broiler for a minute. You could also do this with salmon, canned salmon. Yes, yes. And so, I mean, it's a good healthy lunch. Mm-hmm. You can then These either are delicious. put it on bread or serve it over top of a salad. I've done both. And it's lots of protein. It's a lot of heart healthy stuff in here. My doctor a long time ago said, you need to eat tuna every single day for lunch. And I'm like, what about the mercury? Yeah, what about the heavy metals? Yeah, she was like two cans of tuna every day and da 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 So I started like every other day day making like tuna salad Uh and putting it on salad or on bread and it did work i did lose weight but i was always worried about the metals in it i'm like well for a good reason especially when we were that age it was a huge issue when we were in our 20s like overfishing of tuna yeah and the heavy metal poisoning and then when you're pregnant you can't eat it so Uh, i always i missed it i was like oh man i do love it Try this. It's great for lunch. It's great whenever you have your friend over. Mm -hmm. Make this. Have a cup of coffee. Talk some chickens at the table. Yeah. You'll have some fun. So show us your pictures. We would love to see them. Okay. So let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Okay. This is a fun one. Oh, yeah. If you're listening, raise your hand if you own a vintage chicken cookie jar. (laughs) We both have our hands up because we're dorks. <laughs> we both own these things because. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't? I know. Come on. I have two, maybe three. You have more than I do, I think. My favorite one is at Barn with the chickens. Oh, that was a thrift store find. Yes. Love it. I have a gigantic coach and rooster in a very 1970s orange flame glaze. Yes. And then I have the Lefton hen on a nest. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like she's like on a basket. Right. And that's one of my favorites. I think I bought that off a of Facebook marketplace from a person in my neighborhood who was getting rid of her mother-in-law's chicken collection. I came home with more than that cookie jar. 
Look at this one right here. That is too cool. It says cookies on the nest. I love it. This is the thing I like about cookie jars. They say cookie jars, but really, who puts cookies in them anyway? You can put anything you want in a cookie jar. I might have dog treats in one of mine. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say, I'm always wondering, how do the cookies really stay from not getting stale in a cookie jar? I don't know. In my house, cookies don't last long enough to stay (laughs) in a cookie jar. I know. I'm like, they're great for decoration. Yeah. In my house, there's always one on top of the fridge. And they're fun. They are fun. They're super collectible. There are tons of hen and rooster cookie jars out there. Now, I did a little research and the cookie jar, not just the chicken cookie jars, but cookie jars in general, were at the height of their popularity from the 1940s to the 1960s. I think we should have been in the 40s and 60s. Oh, I don't know. We would have been turning some stuff upside down, but- I would have been burned at the stake. That's like our era for stuff. Like we, well, we like the stuff, the stuff but I, I don't think we would have liked everything else that went I'd be with like, it. I'm going over to the pop shop. <laughs> well, I thought this was interesting. There are several good cookie jar collecting guidebooks out there, believe yes. it or not. You and can find them on Etsy and eBay, etc. And let me tell you, there's a boatload of chicken ones in there. Yeah. Chicken stuff is highly, highly collectible. Yeah. That's the fun part about this. You love chickens. Everything you own, you're going to be able to have something chicken of it. Yeah. And why not a chicken cookie jar? I love my two cookie jars. Like I said, there's dog treats in the Lefton cookie jar. And Lefton is a company that made tons and tons of mid-century Japanese export pottery. So I absolutely adore the Lefton cookie jar. The Cochin rooster cookie jar that I have is a very, very common ceramic mold. It's known as the Atlantic mold. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. Cross-eyed hand. <laughs> so I had to pull this up. It's the Bella Casa cross-eyed chicken cookie jar. Oh my god! It's so cute. Can, I don't think chickens can be cross-eyed. Their eyes are <laughs> on the opposite is. sides of their head. <laughs> the Coach and Rooster cookie jar is a really common ceramic mold oh, in the definitely. '60s, and so you find them everywhere with all the feathers. It's just something fun. The best way to find them is in the wild. Definitely, because the shipping costs on them can be prohibitive. Of course, they're going to be in your usual places, eBay, Etsy. You can even probably go on Amazon and find some new ones. Cracker Barrels, a good place. They always, every season, have a chicken line. It always contains a cookie jar. Yes, and I would say that yard sales. I love a freaking good yard sale where I find (laughs) chicken stuff. It's like the best day ever when that happens. It's really great. When I walk away and Joe is always shaking his head because I'll have the box full of chicken stuff and he's just like, oh, God. Oh, man. I recently picked up something at a thrift shop and it's not chicken. It's a huge goose on a nest. And I'm not sure if she's supposed to be a terrine or a cookie jar or what. She could be a cookie jar. We're going to use her for our happy hour. Oh, she's gorgeous. I mean, I'm in love with her. I don't have any, I don't have any geese, but I remember I was in the thrift shop and I send you a photo. There's a picture of her and there's a picture of a duck on a nest next to her. And you were like, get both. Yeah, get both. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're poultry. The stuff is fun and you can decorate with it. You can use it to store stuff inside, you know, like pens, notepads. It's endless what you can put in there. Dog treats, spare change. Anything. Knickknacks. And it's a cute way to hide something. Yeah, definitely. And I love it. I don't think any house should be without a chicken cookie jar. Go out in the wild and find yourself a chicken cookie jar. It will make you happy. They do make me kind of happy. I mean, I don't have the space to have a ton of them, but I'd like to come up with another one or two. According to Joe, I'm no longer allowed to have anything else chicken, but that's not going to happen. We all know this. This poor man is living in denial. (laughs) It's sad. It's sad. (laughs) As we record, I've made us Maryland crab soup. It smells amazing upstairs. And when we work these long days, sometimes we forget to eat. And it's like today, I'm like, no, I'm going to make something early. So there's Maryland crab soup up on the stove and my new chicken love chicken pot holder sitting next to it. And he did not know what it was. I know. And then he turns to us and he's like, I cannot believe this is a pot holder. I'm like, 
It's my chicken pot holder. It's an awesome pot holder. (laughs) Andrea, good job on those pot holders. Yeah, they're fantastic. Okay. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are profiling one of the cutest bantams ever, the Barbuda watermelon. So in Chrissy's brain, this translates to the bearded watermelon. (laughs) (laughs) Our main topic is chicken wound care. This is an important one. Very important one. Our recipe are Ella's Easy Baked Churros. And she has made these and Ella is 12. So these are easy. These are good. Yeah. Very easy. Very good. And our retail therapy, we're going to be discussing scratch grains. A couple new ones on the market that are neat. Coming into fall, it's Mm -hmm. something that you're going to start thinking about a lot. Bumping up your scratch. Yep. Yes. For winter. And don't forget to check out our tip of the day. It's a new segment over on Instagram where we give a tip every day about chicken care. It's been so much fun. Yes. Okay. So what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.